right, hello. Welcome to another episode of Making It in Asheville. We are your hosts, Sarah and Tony. And today we are very excited to interview the founder of Amplified Media, Jared Kay. How's it going, Jared? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm talking to just the two of you, but I'm also talking to your entire audience. So that's <laughs> yeah. 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 No. I mean, they're not listening right now as <laughs> yeah, we record yeah. this, but they yeah. will be listening. Heard and heard. Yeah. The ever growing um, audience that is making it in Asheville. Uh, as of this week, Jared, so we're going to date stamp when this episode was re- recorded. You are now a guest on Western North Carolina's number one local podcast. Wow. Did you know this? <laughs> Yeah. So I, it looks it looks like uh, we might have run uncontested because we didn't see anyone in second place. But all all the all, all the while, it's still pretty cool. That's huge. Yeah, wow. it it felt like it, it feels huge uh, considering that you know a, a year ago or, or just over a year ago we were still in Brooklyn, yeah. right? So I met um, less than a year ago in in person, actually. Believe it or not, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, it was, you just moved here like a week before and you were, just, yeah. the concept of a podcast was just in its infancy. I don't even know if you were <laughs> serious at that point. Yeah, it was, um, that was our, uh, I would say like the buoy that we were like, all right, even if everything float, like yeah. the boat wrecks, hold on to this thing. Cause I think it'll help. Um, and so we just, we stayed focused, but honestly a large, I don't, I don't want to give you too much credit. But we met at Young Professionals, Professionals of Asheville, of Asheville. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sitting down or standing actually bar side with you um, and hearing the, I'll say the tweeted version or the soundbite version of your story, mm-hmm. I was like, Sarah, there's space in town for media. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's clearly doing so. Like, I, I don't know who's got the podcast in town. We couldn't find one when we looked it up. I was like, maybe we could be the podcast. Yeah, yeah. In town. and I remember that conversation vividly. You know, I, I, you know, I often meet people at those types of events, and especially when you're in a loud environment and it's chaotic. You know, you don't often have time for a genuine and intimate conversation. But I remember the two of you stood out in a sense where you know I felt like you were the 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 new kids in town who are kind of the underdog who needed like just just this like little handhold, this little you know. <laughs> like grasp and and so we still do we still do <laughs> like fighting so hard for like the the you know the um the inspirational you know perspective to give you like this is this town is so inviting and it's so understanding and it's so collaborative that you know yeah you can make it just just take your dreams and run with them you know <laughs> so that was really a cool moment honestly it, it was. Yeah. I think you described that, that, that very, very well. I remember feeling like, yeah. like, oh, wow, there's so much room to grow yeah. there. So, yeah. Well, Jared, t- tell us a little bit about, uh, tell our audience and yeah. us a little bit more about Amplified Media and what you do nowadays. We are a community-minded organization, and we are here to tell the stories of the organizations and the individuals within our community. You know, so we're really just a platform. We're a storyteller. Um, well, actually, we're not even a storyteller. We're a pro- platform for you to tell your story. So we're not contriving or scripting or creating something. Typically, we're we're that lens, we're that window. You know, so we come in to an environment with kind of a blank canvas, and you know, we'll spend a lot of time on the forefront, and we'll do pre-production and planning and collaboration. But that story, the essence of it, you know, we want to keep it as 
real and genuine and as authentic as possible without trying to spin any sort of campaign or agenda or, you know, so facade. So we really pride ourselves on that um, genuine and authentic approach where we're really tugging at the heartstrings and we're really, you know, diving in deep to understand why this organization exists and not only why they exist, but why they exist in their community. Like what makes them an integral part of maybe not the actual community, but their community. Cause they, they have a community, you know, and, and we all have these interactions and engagements with, you know, with peers and with associates and with, you know, other organizations that if we're not putting ourselves out there in a genuine way, you know, I think this day and age, people are savvy. They can see right through that. You know, so I think there is that, like we were talking earlier, that room for growth in a sense where, you know, we we can all kind of create this more genuine virtual world. You know, it's a it's a world. The virtual, you know, world, it's not normal. You know, it's not like we, yeah. we weren't, you know, we weren't as evolved as a species to interact this way. But if we do it in a genuine way where it's authentic and our stories are real, then I feel like that's doing something that's going somewhere heard yeah, yeah. well and, and, and you just brought up the question of like you know i think a lot of people when they get in front of a camera or they know they're going to be on video or even photo get shy and then they get awkward yeah. and I'm, I'm talking about myself here yeah. a lot of the times yeah. and, and it can be really hard to be genuine and authentic because you feel like you have to yep. Yep. read a script so how, how do you help people through that yeah so i'll tell you you know, this is probably the third time in five years that I've been in front of the camera. So it's really like right now is is that freakish moment where yeah. I'm experiencing that, you know, from which is good for me. It's a good exercise. But I'm experiencing that, you know, that little bit of nervousness and ooh, this could be permanent. You know, what what I'm saying may or may not stick. You know, so I think that my biggest role as a good listener, the same as yours, in all honesty is to meet them where they're at. And I always say, be vulnerable. Like that's my biggest thing is like, I want to be vulnerable with that individual so that I'm not just pitching questions at them. I'm having a real conversation with them. I'm listening and I'm engaging and I'm asking follow-ups and I'm kind of, you know, putting them at ease in a sense where, you know, where they don't feel like they're being interviewed, but they feel like they're just having a friendly conversation or maybe they're inspiring me, you know, and, and, I think in that sense, it gives them the realization that this isn't just a a one sided, you know, pitch. It's it's a it's a conversation, and it's it's a it's a um, moment. Yeah, and I'll I'll just say just in case uh, because it wasn't, I don't think necessarily explicit. Uh, explicit is that. That looks a lot of the time, as far as I understand, like video production yeah. and and telling stories through v- video mm-hmm. in sometimes your studio. It seems like you also have done a ton of nature or outdoors yeah. video as well. Sure. So like, um, like practically, and if you're not already checking out the Making International YouTube channel, you might want to because Jared's just taken first place all time in the best background oh. and and, right. and best <laughs> guest setup yeah, look for and podcast. feel for a for a, a guest uh it's going to make us totally reimagine what our look and feel <laughs> uh, is going to be moving forward it. but um it, it practically it's video production storytelling and the medium typically mm-hmm. 
perhaps not always is video. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So um, to that point, you know, if you can see this and some of you are listening, I think letting the technology fade into the background, you know, not putting it at the forefront. I think the story needs to be at the forefront in all honesty, mm-hmm. but the distractions and the audio quality and, you know, what's behind me that needs to fade into the background to where you're not noticing it. It's, it's so good that you're not noticing it. If it's bad, you notice it, which is unfortunate. You know, if you hear an audio hum, if there's a dog barking, if you see something in the video that's growing out of the top of somebody's head, that's noticeable and people are going to get distracted by it. So our role in setting up a scene and finding an aesthetic is to make everything kind of fade into the background and uh, and create an environment where the user, the the viewer feels at ease. Yeah. yeah. And you've done that wonderfully with what I'm assuming is a fixed focal length and uh, and a depth of field that is just like buttery soft yeah. behind 30, you. Great light. 1.4, that's, uh, that's the lens to have if uh, <laughs> it's just... You can't go wrong with it, um, but you know I could nerd out on day on technology, but but that just having the right lens, having the right camera, and it's tough in the virtual world. You know when we're all plugged into our computers and our our iPhone cameras, they they see everything. You know you don't really have, and they've gotten better. Like now I zoom on my iPhone camera, so I'm now isolating my my scene and I'm showing the viewer only what I want them to see. You know wide angle perspective where everything's in focus tends to be kind of I want to say like a lazy perspective, you know, it's like, Hey, here's everything, you know, I'm giving it all away. Whereas if you really hone in and focus and say, this is what I want my audience to see because I'm crafting, I'm crafting a message, I'm crafting a, a, um, an aesthetic, you know, then, then I think that allows for that to not be a distraction because if it's big and wide, they're going to look around and they're going to see, you know, like things that are for all intents and purposes, distractions, you know, like, Ooh, world, Ooh, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's how that's how our eyes work, right? Yeah. Like, like I'm looking at the computer right now, yeah. and looking at you, and I'm I'm not focusing on the Anything. background of what's in our room right now, uh-huh. and, and so it's, I find that so fascinating. Like it's it's mimicking the natural way that our eyes are yeah. are already working. Yeah, so. I, I remember the first time uh, my dad was so pumped. He bought this new TV, and we were watching uh, a football game. And grass was in focus. Yeah. And we were like, oh my God. Like, what is grass is in focus? Players are in focus. What is like, what is this what it, yeah. is this what it could have looked like the whole time? Yeah. And so, like, that was the first, I don't know, 1080p yeah. TV that I'd ever even probably seen. Retrain your brain. Um, yeah. You re- retrain your brain. You're like, oh, but it's not normal to be able to look at any point on a screen. Mm-hmm. And have it all be clear. Yeah, yeah. My wife hates it. We were in a hotel like a month ago, and the you know our TV. Usually, we're watching stuff on our computers at home. You know, we very rarely watch something on a big TV. And we were watching. It might have been a sporting event, and it was so hard to watch because everything was so crisp and so clear, and and it just yeah it was it was distracting. You know, so and and we were talking because you don't know what to make like you don't know what to prioritize yeah. like your brain doesn't know when you're staring at the grass when you should be watching like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah yeah wow okay so yeah. we've we just like geeked out about yeah, uh, video for a second but t- i i want to take us back a little bit well a lot i guess cuz you've been in this business for 15 years i believe yeah a long yeah. time so i i can give you i can give you the story kind of in a nutshell 
of, of my journey. And then, you know, we can kind of dive into any one segment of it because it's a very interesting journey. And I, I didn't just fall into this, you know, and, and a lot of times yeah. there's that perception that like, oh, you know, he, he got, you know, he, he fell into it, you know, it, it just fell in his lap, whatever it may be. But, you know, really it is, it is a, an uphill struggle and constantly, you know, but for, in a, in a good way, you know, it's something that, you know, I, I enjoy a challenge and I always have. So I, I like having that, you know, that sense of, of a push, you know, whether that be from behind or from, you know, the front, but I think, um, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here. So you can, <laughs> <laughs> we will not get that in post. That's live. Everyone's going to hear it forever. Love it. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but I think, I think that you're, what you're, what you're setting up is a story that's going to have yeah. challenges. Yeah. And so they've, they I imagine they've just changed at every step yeah. of the way. And I want to start you from the beginning, but I don't know if that's exactly where, you know, so the beginning of my, my video career or whatever it might be. Yeah. But I, what I realized early on is to be a part of your community, if nothing else. And we talked about this when we first started, yeah. if nothing else, be a part of your community, whatever that means. You know, it could be your your local chamber of commerce. It could be your YPA. It could be, you know, just a group of friends who who are inspired and passionate about something. Um, but I think that that allows growth in a way that you can't really do otherwise. You know, you you need that support system. Really, it takes a village, you know, so I, I learned very early on to be a part of my community. And I think that was the golden ticket for me was really to just do good work, treat people right and be rock solid dependable. That was like the goal. Money was secondary, you know, and when I first started my business back in 05, my wife and I got married in 05. We were 20. We were young. We were poor. We were we just, you know, really were. um we were really just uh, in in the deep end, both feet, you know, and, and we had to swim. We had to learn to swim. So she she took a job where she was, you know, I don't remember the numbers, but she's she was making eight hundred dollars a month, and I was making eight hundred dollars a month. Or my goal was to make eight hundred dollars a month. We we had a, a lease that was eight hundred, so she would cover that, and then we had groceries and gas that cost about eight hundred. So I tried to cover that, you know, and that was my goal back then. Was okay, I only need you know six hundred to a thousand dollars every month to sustain because we, wow. because I started so small, you know, I didn't have the overhead. I didn't have the expenses. I took a small loan from my dad for a camera. I, you know, it was like, I don't know, $2,000 or something for a camera and a microphone and a, you know, and I paid him back in a year, you know? And, um, yeah. and so I think having that mentality of like, um, you don't need the best equipment. You don't need the best clients. You don't need the best resources. You really just need to invest yourself into your cause, whatever that may be and into your community and the rest will take care of itself. You know, so there were jobs I was doing for free. There were, you know, I was, I was filming weddings and kids' birthday parties and I was doing PowerPoints for people and I got into a little bit of web design. And so I was doing everything. And usually I was charging a hundred dollars, you know, or two hundred dollars yeah. for something that should have, you know, cost ten times that in a professional sense. But my goal was to do good work. And so that that person, maybe they didn't pay me a lot of money, but they became my sales force. They became an audience. And so I think if you can grow that community into a sales force, and I don't call my friends and peers and associates sales force, but they are, you know, like yeah. sales force to you guys and you guys are a sales potential sales force to me. Like, yeah. even though we have, a, you know, a common bond and a, a relationship and, you know, you still want to 
preach the work of people who are doing good work. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so that's really where it started. So I started at 20, you know, that was uh, almost 16, 16 years ago now. And, um, and it was really just like, just young and, and motivated, you know, so I was still yeah. in school. In fact, I, um, I, I took a bunch of digital media classes and I was going to Blue Ridge Community College. And then we ended up getting married and my wife and I, you know, we, we were both just, like I said, full in, we had to make it work. So I ended up dropping out of school and starting my business. And I had, I had kind of a side, um, hustle at the time. So there were two things that really, um, launched off the production side. Um, I was working with a local church doing church production. So we had, we had a production department and I'd gone to a high school that was affiliated with the church and my wife and I were high school sweethearts. So we met our freshman year. And so, um, the school was affiliated with the church. And so the church had this production department, they had all these cameras and I'm like, yeah, I want to, you know, I'll play around with that. So, um, so for a few years I was working with them and, and, uh, and learning the ropes and learning live production in a studio environment. And so I started editing the services and delivering them to a really small local TV station that used to be based out of Fletcher. And about six months into doing that, delivering the, the um, services every week on a, on a um, DVD, we would take a DVD disc and deliver it to them. Um, they Early 2000s, what a, what a time. Yeah. <laughs> they hired me. So I had this two part-time jobs and... Um, and this was in 2004, maybe. And the station shut down in 05. So they just closed house. And so I only had half a job at that point, you know, so I had this void to fill. And I said, well, why don't I just start a business? So I did have a little bit of steady income. It wasn't much, but it was enough to say, okay, I have this little nugget. If I can just have another little nugget, then we can make ends meet. And so from my perspective, like having that, that sense of, um, everyone wants a sense of security. And that's what the toughest part about going on a limb and starting your own business is there is no sense of you're like, you know, you're jumping off a cliff. You hope there's a net or a parachute. You know? So I think it is smart to have a little bit of a sense of like, okay, like I'm not going to fully break away from sustainability. Like, let's think this through a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And from there, you know, once, once the station shut down, um, that was probably the best thing that, that had happened for me because it gave me that really hard kick to say, okay, you got to do this. You got to make it happen. Yeah. You know, so, um, so from, from then on out, you know, I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I just, I, my focus was just um, doing good work and treating people right. This episode of Making It in Asheville is brought to you by Van Winkle Law Firm, one of the largest and most well-established firms serving North Carolina residents and businesses since 1907. It's a long time ago. As a full-service law firm, Van Winkle can help you and your business navigate almost every legal matter out there. So whether you're an emerging business that needs help just drawing up some contracts, or you're a mature company looking for expertise in employment law, the folks at Van Winkle Law can grow with you and your company. As a listener of Making It a Nashville podcast, you'll get to enjoy your first business law consultation 100% for free. Visit vwlawfirm.com for more information. Again, that's vwlawfirm.com and let them know that Making It a Nashville sent you. Now, that was kind of a roundabout way to tell that story, but the focus wants to be on that, you know, um, really on that community side, like money coming secondary. Like I really, you know. And yeah. 
and I th- so that's a perfect, I think, uh, circle back through a, through the story of um, what what you've said and what you did say when we met that first time is like if you lean into the community, mm-hmm. uh, there's always opportunities. And I think what what I heard through that was like to serve, and yeah. and if you're prioritizing like being useful, I think it's always a good strategy. What you said is that you wanted to be. Oh, I forget the way you said it, but I loved it. It was just like absolutely reliable, right? Yeah. Like solid. dependable, solid, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I and I think that I think that that does make sense. And I also find that when you have a little bit of, you know, I'll call it excess oxygen every single month, um, it makes it perhaps a hair easier to focus on doing quality work over making money. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if in those early days, were there moments, were there times where you're like, oh my God, I, jo- I don't know if I can continue to not worry about money. Like at some point. Oh, you're always worrying about money. You know, that, that is. The- <laughs> putting it third. And so I, I just mean at some point you, you yeah. changed from I'm going to do, I'm going to say yes to everything for a hundred bucks yeah. to perhaps I get now to be a little bit more selective yeah. or I'm going to put a price out and see if they say no to it. Like yeah. well, how did the transitions from I'll do anything to get that $800 uh, yeah. a month income marker to I'm going to now test pricing or be selective on, on work. Yeah. And this is an interesting conundrum and, and we've struggled with this because in our creative realm, there's no set standard of cost, really. It's like it, it spans the spectrum. The cool thing now is that I can I can take those $100 jobs, whatever they may be, and I can pass those on to someone who needs them more than I do. And so I'm, not, I'm in that position now where I can actually say, oh, like that may not be a good fit for us, but let me tell you about this person. They're a fantastic fit, you know, whatever the cost spectrum might be. Um, and people were doing that with me, you know, um, when I started developing other relationships in the creative world, people were sending things down the ladder to me, you know, and I was sending things up the ladder to them. It's too big of a job. We can't handle it or I can't handle it. And I would send it up. And so I think there's that really cool back and forth. And I think eventually you kind of climb rungs on that ladder. And for me, what, what I found is when your quality of work, you know, the quality was always super important to me, like having quality content and a high end deliverable was always super important, but it becomes more expensive, like exponentially when you start, you know, working your way into more professional realm. And it's not really, you know, we'd had a conversation earlier about, you know, I can film with my iPhone and get a really fantastic result, but there's, there's a perceived uh, value in having, having a production or having a setup or having quality equipment or or coming with a team, you know, there, I wouldn't say perceived value, but in all honesty, you know, that's the perception is reality when it comes to pricing, right? Like if I'm charging $30,000 for a shoot, I can't show up with four iPhones. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Unless it's an iPhone shoot, like unless like it's it's for Apple. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. Um, Although I should test that one day. (laughs) Um, But in all honesty, like, you know, you, you have those growing pains and with growth comes expense and with expense comes, you know, the, the, um, maybe the confidence to, to charge a little bit more because you know, your bottom line has shifted, you know? So I think that was kind of the, the reality check. And also I want, I want to say this a little bit lightly, but I was receiving pressure from the industry. Like I had a couple of industry peers 
they would get on to me and they would come to me and be like, look, like you're undercutting the industry. You know, like you can't charge this amount because it's going to bring us the value of all of our, you know, products down. And or, or you can't charge that amount and deliver what you've been delivering. Yeah. Yeah. Because I built a reputation on, on, you know, a quality deliverable, yeah. but the cost wasn't really aligned with that, you know, because I was, I was younger and smaller and I was willing to take on more. And I was like, yeah, bury me in work and I'll work. Yeah. I'll burn the midnight oil. Now that I have a kid and I'm 36, you know, it's a different equation. Yeah. I want to be home with my family and I want to spend time with my boy and I'm going to work hard and do the hustle, but there's, there's a, um, a different, there, there's a different value proposition to, you know, my time is valuable for my family. My, my free time is valuable for my family. So that value proposition is shifted to where, you know, I give the client my hundred percent during the client's, you know, allotted time or energy or whatever it might be. But I also need to be aware that I need to recharge and reboot and spend quality time with my family so that I can be fresh for my client. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that's a, a super important, just self-awareness there that, that yeah. <laughs> takes some time to, to learn and then kind of realize for your for your own self can i ask you but why video like do you remember the defining moment that that you said okay this is what i want to do because you you, it seems like you went to school and and you're pretty set on it so yeah i was i remember early on in high school i was into photography and we had these really you know like um we i mean we live in a beautiful place for one so it's it's no secret that western north carolina is just absolutely stunning so to be able to capture that and portray that has always been a passion of mine. So I'd always had a vested interest in photography. And then in high school, I was kind of seen as that, you know, I would make the little, um, you know, class trip videos and I was affiliated with, you know, yearbook and that sort of thing. So I think it was a natural fit in high school to one, enjoy and appreciate technology, but then um, have that understanding that I can share this, you know, I can share these moments. I can share these, you know, um, beautiful you know, things that if I were to go up on the parkway and capture a sunrise, you know, I can share that with my friends and family, you know, and my mom, for instance, isn't going to get up at 530 in the morning and hike three miles to see this beautiful sunrise, but I can, I can capture it and I can share it with her, you know, so mm-hmm. kind of cool to have that, you know, ability this day and age to, to immediately share with somebody something that, you know, that's profound or beautiful or inspiring. So I, you know, and then also we were in skateboarding, so I would make all these skate videos and, you know, it was, it was just like, I enjoyed the technology and I enjoyed, you know, capturing. So I need to dig up my early videos because they're, they're horrible and they're good and they're fun. What was, what was your first camera? Oh my gosh. So, um, for video. So my first still camera was a Canon AE1, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then I got the A1. So the AE1 didn't have the little digital display. It just had a little ticker that went across to show you the exposure and then the A1 had like digital display and, you know, all the cool features of the day. And then um, for video, I had this little Sony Handycam. You remember the Handycams? You put the little yeah. digital or the Hyatt tape in it. And um, and so we were we were like outfitting those. We put like a little hood on the front. We put a microphone on the top and then we put a handle on it. So while we're riding our skateboards, skateboards. we put it down low. So that was that was really you know, like it was fun, you know, and it was all like consumer level equipment, but it had potential for really back then quality content, but then the editing was a mess. I mean, you would have two VCRs and you would queue up one tape and queue up another tape and you'd hit play on this one, hit record on this one. 
and then you would feed audio into it from like a um a walkman (laughs) but it was fun yeah it's how you learn yeah I, i i i'm of the mind that like skateboarders who tried to document some of the stuff and like dungeons and dragons players or world of warcraft players are like the best entrepreneur business yeah. builder types because true yeah. to play those games when we were kids and earlier especially earlier probably but to play in, in our generation and earlier you needed to be creative problem solver yeah uh, who who could just envision an outcome and do a lot of hard work to make it so like a, a kid who's into skateboarding and wants to make a video today it's like you do it there's you know iMovie on your phone and it's pretty intuitive and it's pretty clean and yeah. like the the sweat equity that you put into you know film as a child is different than someone today uh well, using reels course. and it's not better necessarily better or worse i'm just i would always defer to someone who's uh I don't know, played Warcraft for hours on end, then yeah. played Candy Crush. Yeah. And there's that sense of determination and resilience that I'm going to do it again, and then I'm going to do it again, and then I'm going to do it again. And if it's not working, you know, we tend to beat our heads against the wall or just give up. And I'm always, you know, of the mind of, I'm going to beat my head against the wall until, until I either fix it or break it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the determining factor. You know, so I've always been really, you know, um, resilient and resourceful in that sense. So, you know, I think that is a a trait, the resourcefulness of, you know, how do I do this better or differently, or how do I look at it from a different angle so that I I can find success in it, you know, and it was back to that skateboarding Dungeons and Dragons mentality, you know, anybody who's pursuing something, you know, to better themselves or better their craft or to, to just like, you know, improve upon, I think that's a, that's a valid, you know, pursuit. And uh, there's a great Jerry Seinfeld quote. I think uh, he said it in the Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee show yeah. where they were watching these skateboarders. And he's like, you know what? He's like, those skateboarders, he's like, I never worry for them. You know, he's like, they're going to be all right. <laughs> he's like, because they're just so determined, you know, like a kickflip's a really hard thing to do, you know, like or whatever it might be. Um, so in either case, that's a that's a whole nother like um whole nother conversation, but, um, I, I think, yeah, determination, resilience, resourcefulness, those are all valid on any level. Yeah. So I, I imagine after being, uh, in the business for 15 years, there's been a lot of learning moments and, um, mistakes for the lack of a better word, but tell us a little bit more about those, those, moments where you were like, okay, I just learned something new. I'm going to change the way I, I do my business or, oh, I just made a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Now I know I'll, I'll do it differently this time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, making mistakes is a fact of life. It's a fact of business, mm-hmm. a fact of everything we do. I think it's how we respond to those mistakes that makes the biggest difference. So in all honesty, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes throughout my career. Fortunately, I started small enough to where when I would make a mistake, I would only go down so far. You can only, you know, if you're only one rung up on the ladder, you can only go back down one rung, you know? So then, you know, it, it does become a little more um, stressful to make higher level mistakes when you are higher on that rung. Like, for instance, if this podcast, if you guys accidentally lost your card or deleted the podcast, 
you know, that's that's a tough one to swallow. You know, it's a tough one to admit. It's it happened. I've been there, man. Oh, my that's, heart hurts so bad every time. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough to say where the mistakes happen and how they're caused. And sometimes it's it's uncontrollable. You know, say I were to lose a memory card, and it's happened a few times. You know, I had I tore my car apart one time after a shoot where I don't do this anymore, but there was a time when I would take the memory card and I would just find a happy place for it. And then I would get back to the office and I'd drop it off to Emily, our editor. Um, and sometimes that happy place was my pocket and I put the memory card in my pocket, you know, which to me right now is saying it sounds absurd. You know, now we have like hard cases and we have like uh, tracking tiles on them. So we know where the content's at. And usually it doesn't come out of the camera until it gets to the office. Uh, but I had one time where uh, I lost a card entirely and there was no way I was going to ever I, allow myself to call that client and say, Hey, I lost your content. So I like literally tore my house apart and I went as far as I was determined that I'd lost it in my car. And so I went out and went as far as to taking the seat out of my car, like entirely taking the seat out of my car and like looking up under the rugs and looking under the vents. And I took my seat, flipped it over in the garage and shook on it. And sure enough, the card fell out. What? It was down inside like the seat belt part of my seat. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I think, you know, like that sort of thing where it's either figure it out or have that really hard discussion tomorrow with your client because you, yeah. you can do one or the other, you know, yeah. it's a lot of it's holding yourself accountable to a level where you either, you either fix the mistake or you admit you admit fault and you, and you fix it, you know, like yeah. there are, there are times when things don't work, you know, in production or, you know, whatever it might be, but my job is to make it right. Like right. at the end of the day, like I have signed up for this deliverable and they need to have it. You know, if I'm building a house for somebody or remodeling their kitchen, like I can't just say, Oh, like I hit a pipe and water blew everywhere and I'm just going to leave. Like, sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, like you have, you have accountability and you like you signed up for it. Um, I will say one of the biggest mistakes I made that I still don't, you know, it's, it's still such a tricky scenario with all creatives. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I kind of want to give this as not a, not something for creatives to freak out about, but uh, sales tax. So we learned back in 2014, 2015 that, um, I got a call from the North Carolina Department of Revenue and they said, Hey, we want to, we want to see your books. We see that you're not paying sales tax. So, oh, well, I'm a creative and I'm delivering, you know, um, I'm not delivering a product. So why am I entitled to pay sales tax? Um, so they looked at our books. He came back every other week for like three months and asked for all this information. And ultimately they sent us a really big bill for, three years of sales tax, everything we've ever done for three years, they wanted 7% of it. And that was like devastating to my business, like just absolutely traumatizing. And I was, I was like, I, I sleep great. You know, like I don't worry about like I, when, when I'm, when I'm checked out, I'm, you know, I'm present, I'm with my family, you know, but I was losing sleep. I was stressing. I was calling like, you know, everybody I knew. And, um, and so ultimately I called a, um, I got a hold of a, uh, tax attorney who used to work for um, Department of Revenue. And he said, essentially, that if you can taste it, touch it, smell it, breathe it, it's a tangible. So even video is a tangible. 
and not to freak out all you other video guys out there, but it can be deemed a tangible and which means that it's, it's subject to sales tax. And so I, um, he, he essentially said, there's nothing I can do about it. He's like, if they want to fathom that up. And he said, when I used to work, he told me when I used to work for department of revenue, he's like, we would come up with things, you know, we would sit around and say, okay, how can we go after this line of, um, uh, potential revenue that is not being billed sales tax or not deemed taxable. So they'd come up with a scenario that fit that mold and then they'd, you know, deem it appropriate to, to tax. And so I, I had been warned in the past that, yeah, you should probably charge sales tax, but in my mind and with the general, you know, uh, community thought and the creative world that, you know, that I ran, ran in, it wasn't really an issue. Whoa. Until it was. <laughs> so, so it's tangible in so much as there are hard drives involved or in that it You're doing plays a on. Yeah. You're, you're it, delivering. So the video is a deliverable, yeah. like, you know, it's even though, but you, you can see it and you can hear it. So therefore it's a tangible. So you're huh. deliverable. Everything you do leading up to that deliverable is deemed ultimately a product, an end product, which is, I mean, it can be argued both ways, but in the, in the, in the law of, in the, in the um, view of the law, or at least his perspective of the law, yeah. it was, Holy yeah. moly. All right. So, uh, so that's it. You asked a mistake. That, that's, that's, really a big, that's a big it, lesson. Yeah. T- 10% of what you thought was profit, you know, kind of disappearing is, it's very over three years. So we didn't have that in the bank, you know, like you, you take a three year process and like you, you forecast, you know, you say like, okay, every month I know what I have and I'm going to, you know, um, a year from now, if I show a profit, I'm going to, possibly buffer that profit back into the business, you know, invest or buy equipment or whatever it might be market. Um, so you don't have that money lying around three years later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it was, it was a heavy blow, but, uh, it was a massive learning curve and it was also, it was one of those like reality. It was one of those reality checks of resilience, you know, okay. Are we resilient? Can we take a punch? You know, can we, can we take a hard hit and not topple over, you know? And I think that, you know, ultimately it makes you stronger. It really does. You know, we learned a lot and we implemented charging sales tax and we were true to it. And we had a lot of, you know, um, pushback from clients. Um, but you know, I had something to fall back on and a lot of didn't. So I would send the letter from the IRS. Exactly. I was just like, yeah, but this is, uh, this is our letter. Uh, we have to. Yeah. So that's, no, that, I think that's I think it's a huge deal, and I think that um, I think it's easily overlooked. And one of the biggest things to just like skate by, I like to I'm always like play fast type who will say you know let revenues solve the problem, <laughs> um, but sometimes it does make sense to be a planner. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think Sarah and I have like a yin yang in that respect where it's like, I'm like, let's move fast. Let's like solve it with revenue. But if you're not putting money aside uh, and you're a small business owner or a side hustler or selling stuff on eBay, whatever you want to like, whatever you are, it makes sense. Uh, when I when I first left my uh, job in Brooklyn and we were thinking about moving, uh, I went so far as to put 45 percent of any money I made into a savings account called taxes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I just didn't know, I didn't know what it was going to look like. And Mm -hmm. I said, you know, let me, I'll solve it with revenue, right? Air quotes. 
but yeah. also I'm going to take about half this money and just assume that it's going to disappear on me. And if it doesn't, then I'm in, uh, you know, yeah. that's my, that's my tax return at the end of the year, uh, give yep. to myself. Yeah. And that, that's a great perspective for all entrepreneurs to have that mindset of sustainability or having a plan B or whatever it might be. So there's, a, there's this phrase in the photography industry, and I'm sure it crosses other industries as well, but l- that luck favors the prepared. And I've found that if I can prepare myself for whatever it may be, you know, say it's a beautiful sunrise, you know, to, to know where I'm going to be in advance, to know where the sun's coming up, to maybe go and pre-scout, to know what equipment I'm going to bring. And then in that moment when 7 a.m. comes around on that morning that I want to capture this beautiful sunrise, I'm standing exactly where I need to be. I know where the sun's going to come up. I know what equipment I need to make for a successful end result. And the same is true in business. You know, if you can prepare for those, you know, unforeseen, you know, maybe fog rolls in while I'm trying to capture the sunrise. So I know of a waterfall half a mile back and I'm just going to go capture the waterfall. So I've kind of pivoted, but I'm still prepared. I'm not, you know, I didn't waste three hours of my morning and get up at 5 a.m. to capture something, to not come home with anything. You know, so I think that 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 perspective, uh, that mindset of luck favoring the prepared, having that perspective in business where you're forecasting for those unknown variables and you're able to pivot or you're able to become lucky because you prepared yourself, you know, you worked super hard to land this type of client, you know, and when that client comes into your lap, you are ready for them. You know, you have all of the tools in place or when you get audited by, you know, the IRS or, you know, um, the state, you, you know, you, in my opinion, I mean, I'm, 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 unfortunately for me, I wasn't prepared, but I learned from that. Yeah. that preparation is integral, you know, so, having those moments of, of growth and learning and saying, okay, I'm going to file that away in, you know, um, future understanding, you know, to, to know that next time I'm going to be prepared. This, the stove is hot. I mean, I, I, I think that there's something to be said about like my brother burned himself on a poo poo platter when we were kids. <laughs> and I remember being so traumatizing for probably him, but definitely for me, oh. I, I learned, I mean, I needed to be in it next to him. My hand never got burnt, yeah. but it's, it's when you're close to someone where it's happened, I think there's, this points back to the community thing. This points back to like, can I learn from you yeah. or do I need to lose the memory card myself to know that we need a very robust memory card process that's going to be with a tile on it? Um, yeah. I think it perhaps depends on the person, but uh, I try wherever I can. I'm a younger brother. Uh, I try wherever I can to learn from the mistakes and uh, missteps of my older brother. Yeah. In this instance, you. I'm like, yeah. Sarah, are we selling a product? Like, I don't, do we need to go back and prepare for the 18 months of 7%? Maybe. I don't know. But like, I'm going to bet I'm going to have a call with our accountant this week yeah. to see yeah. what's going on. Yourself, you'll educate yourself and you'll have a better understanding. And I think we all take nuggets from each other. You know, yeah. we, and that's what I love about the community mindset. It's not just I'm selling your product and you're selling my product and we become each other's sales force, but we're also sharing ideas and we're growing together and we're learning from each other. And, and that's the beauty of, of having, I mean, Asheville is such a profound example of that. Having a really 
um, open and accepting and understanding community where people, they just, they want to share, you know, and I love that in our town and you guys having this podcast is a prime example of that. And I, I really love the concept of what you guys are doing. Or I, when I first met you, it was just a concept, you know, but, but to say like, you know, I'm going to take this and run with it. I'm going to make something of it. And then I'm going to share it with my community to where it no longer becomes really your podcast. It is, I mean, you guys are hosting it, but it's now like a community platform, you know, and I listen to you guys all the time. And it's like, I'm learning things about people that I've known for years, you know, Lisa and Dean Petit or Miles Alexander, you know, I've known them for years, but I listen to the podcast. I'm like, wow, like this is a breadth of information. This is a wealth of knowledge. Like these are things that I can go, I can take notes and I can go back and listen to again, or I can, you know, study up, you know? So yeah, yeah it's, it's a fantastic, you know, community. And, and I think we all really should um, be cognizant of what we're, what we're absorbing and then not only what we're absorbing, but what we're doing with it and how we're sharing or perpetuating it. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. which I'm curious to know more about other resources, either locally or, or even nationally, internationally that have really helped you learn and, and shaped a lot of what you do in your business. Is there, is there, I don't know, three or four that really stick out to you okay. that. Yeah. Um, so early on in my business, I used to be, I had a little office in Hendersonville and I had this guy show up one day and he's wearing a suit and a tie and he has a clipboard and he has, and he shows up in my office and, and I thought, I'm like, man, am I in trouble? Like he said, he's with the chamber of commerce. I'm like, Oh, like I really did something. <laughs> I didn't even know what the chamber was. Right. Yeah. It's the jail. It's a jail for people in business. That's what it yeah. sounds like. And right? it sounds so But once I realized, and, and Bob Williford, he's the uh, um, chamber executive down there. Um, I'm still good friends with him today, but I remember that moment so vividly. He showed up in my office and he invited me to the chamber. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm like 23. I'm like, am I too young for this? Like, I don't even know. And so I show up to a chamber event and I loved it. You know, like it was like-minded people who were just looking to, to learn from each other. And so, um, was you this know, the chamber, the chamber in Hendersonville or well, originally, and I'm still a member of it. It's a little tougher for me to get down there, you know, typically, well now, you know, obviously everything's virtual, but having our studio in Asheville to drive from Asheville and be at a, you know, noon or 5 PM chamber event. So I also joined the chamber in Asheville once, you know, um, once I learned the ropes of the benefits of the chamber. So I've, you know, I've been a co-member of both chambers for years and even just to go to an after hours and just to rub shoulders with people and get to know them. And, and I think that's such a valuable resource, even if you don't talk business one bit. And, and there are times when I will go in kind of as that blank slate and leave my cards aside and just listen and learn, you know, because I think that that can be more valuable than landing a lead. You know, if you can, if you can just be that sponge to other people's journey or story or, um, um, uh, inspiration. So I think the chamber is, is a very, um, beneficial way to become a part of your community and then finding these give back opportunities. Uh, my wife works with the YWCA. So I'm very fortunate to have, like this, like, um, this family, honestly, like the YW to us is, is a family. Like our boy goes to daycare there. My wife works in a women's empowerment program there. And they're doing such amazing things for the community that you want to be a part of that. Um, and I think everybody has that, whether that, you know, whether it be their, 
their church group or their, you know, um, uh, community, you know, um, they're, they're just, they're, there's something out there for everyone. You know, it's not hard to look around Asheville and find something to latch on to to be a part of, you know, and if it's a give back or nonprofit or, or something of the sort, even better. Um, but, you know, I think that the chamber was very integral. Um, young professionals of Asheville, I'm very involved in, I've been on the board, you know, a number of times over the course of my 10 year membership, probably, you know, and, and I started when YPA was in its infancy. And so it's really fun to watch that group grow. And the cool thing about YPA is that you never know where these people's journeys are leading them. You know, a lot of people join my IPA when they're very young and then they go on to be future leaders of our, of our community. They could be the next mayor, you know? And so I've always seen everyone in YPA as that person, like, Oh, like you could be the next mayor of our town you know, I want to, I want to really get to know you, you know, like, because like, you never know where people are going and you never know what they have to offer and what value they have to provide. So I, I think groups like that, especially the younger groups, I think we should latch on and really advocate for and really help perpetuate, you know, so that group, especially, you know, in my opinion, like we're, we're molding through groups like that, we're molding our future local leaders you know so really fun so i i love all three of the shout outs of uh chamber uh some sort of service nonprofit group and then uh, uh younger groups or i'll call it a demographic group so i know that there's some like continual learning group at uh unca that i don't can't remember what it's called osha osa but everyone talks about it they say it's like the greatest group and it's mostly, um, I don't know, retirees are like this continuous lifelong learners. Um, what about specific to video? Like who did, was there anyone that you've ever drafted off of, um, whether they're a YouTuber, like, you know, it's, we're clearly all in the shadow of like a Casey Neistat who exploded, uh, yeah, yeah. 10 yeah. years ago and had the, U- yeah. you know, the HBO show, but like, is Chase Jarvis someone that inspired you? Um, because like this studio setup, to me, like I'm, I'm like, oh my god, I'm on Creative Live. We're watching a Creative Live studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I wonder who's who's been important to you in video. Yeah, and and those those names for sure. You know, um, I used to follow Chase Jarvis a, a lot more than I do now. But mm-hmm. back in the infancy of YouTube and the you know creative sharing of ideas, he was an open book. You know, he would give it all away. Um, Zach Arias, I don't know if he's a, he's more of a, like, um, he, he shoots a lot of like band photography, musician photography, right. like really cool stuff. He's based out of Atlanta. Um, and so I followed him for years and actually met him randomly in a coffee shop one time. and was like starstruck. We I were love it. something, something small. Like I think it was something for, um, uh, anyway, we were down there and uh, I just happened to walk into a Starbucks and he's sitting there playing with a new camera that he just, and so I'm like, whoa, this is a moment, you know? So I latched on and I went over there and I'm like, hey, like, do you mind if I just talk to you for a minute? <laughs> it's probably super awkward. Um, but um, yeah, so I think having people like that, that are, that are just a wealth of knowledge and they're willing to give it away. You know, they're willing to just tell you all their trade secrets. And that 10 years ago was unheard of. And then, you know, people like, um, I think, yeah, Chase Jarvis was really known for that. Like, and people in the industry got mad at him. You know, they're like, why are you giving away all these trade secrets that we've taken years and years to develop? And um, 
it was because he cared, you know, he, he wanted to, he wanted to push this thing forward, you know, and I think a lot of us learn from people like him locally, um, Keith Wright, uh, I'll give a sh quick shout out to Keith Wright. He does amazing. I don't know if you know him, but he does yeah. really cool stuff. Like he's mostly on the commercial side, so he doesn't do a lot of work Asheville centric. Maybe he does, you know, Keith, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But, um, I went into his studio. I remember like ages ago, it seems like, and it was probably only like eight years ago, but I went in with like the iPad one, like the original iPad, I'd loaded up 40 or 50 photos on it, whatever it would hold. And I had him critique my images. Yeah. It was like, for me, it was like so like such a, a leap of faith to, to go into someone else's studio who I admired and trusted and, and, you know, um, uh, really sought to, to mimic and say, Hey, can you tear apart my, my photo gallery? <laughs> you know, can you just give it, give me the real and raw rundown of, of how, how good my work is. And he was super kind. I, I look back, you know, and, and the images that I, that I showed him are now I see them as, Oh my gosh, like, what was I thinking? You know, these are horrible, <laughs> but they were my best, you know, best, yeah. best back then. Um, and, uh, and having, you know, I think having, um, like him being that open door and saying, yeah, like I'll critique your photos. It was probably fun for him. It was like, the scariest thing ever for me, but I bet he had a lot of fun doing it, you know, cause he got to, he got to share and, and inspire and plant a seed, you know, yeah. um, there, there are lots of people. I mean, I could go on, you know, um, uh, Paul Bonesteel, uh, Bonesteel films here in town. They do a bunch of really cool work with uh, HGTV and Scripps Network. And so they're, they're always out doing like big high level productions. And so I've always like, you know, and we're, we work with the equipment that we have available essentially. Like, you know, like we always see our crew, you know, we've got a tight net crew and then, you know, we have, we have really nice equipment now, but you know, it's always been like that, you know, you want, you're, you inspire to be like this, this really high level production team who has it all together and it looks fantastic. It's, it's just, you know, um, a well-oiled machine. And I've always seen bone still films as that. Yeah. And when Paul sent me my first gig, I was like, just dumbfounded, you know, when he gave me a, a lead, I'm sorry, when he, when he yeah. sent, you know, uh, my first lead from him, I was just like, wow, he's sending me a lead. He's sending me a, you know, client that, that trusts him and trusts his judgment and his opinion you know, and, uh, and that was just a big moment for me. Um, and in years since, you know, I've sat down with them, I picked their brain, you know, um, Matthew over there, their producers just, um, uh, he's just an open book, you know, and he's willing to collaborate and to share and to grow together. So I think it, you have to sometimes make that little leap of faith and say, I'm going to reach out or I'm going to send an email or get on the phone with somebody. And it may be scary for you, but on the other side of that, there are so many, you know, just just amazing opportunities and, and results and, and, uh, you know, breadths of information and knowledge. So don't hesitate. <laughs>This season of the Making It in Nashville podcast is sponsored by Range Urgent Care. Range has a very special offer for all business owners and honestly anyone in Nashville. So please stick around to the end of this ad to learn more about that sponsorship. But first, we want to tell you why we love Range Urgent Care specifically for our small business. As a small business owner, it can be really expensive to maintain a traditional healthcare plan for you and your employees. And this is where Range Urgent Care, an Asheville-based clinic, can help really make a difference. 
With their business membership plan, you can give you and your employees the peace of mind and help protect them and their financial futures by giving them a place to go for medical care and avoid a potentially life-changing emergency room bill. The great thing is is that an employee membership is just $45 a month per employee, and it includes unlimited urgent care visits that cost $0. These visits include services like x-rays, flu shots, and even prescriptions from Range's in-house pharmacy. The membership also includes free virtual visits for those more mild complaints such as colds, rashes, UTIs, so that your employees don't have to leave their home to get checked out by a medical professional, which is pretty important during the current pandemic. Their employer portal makes it easy to manage your employee roster and invoices from wherever you are, and their business memberships can scale to the size of your business. With two locations, one on Merriman Avenue in Asheville and the other in Black Mountain, they make it very convenient as an option for any Asheville local business. All right, so maybe you're not a business owner or perhaps a corporate membership is just a little bit outside of reach for you and your business today. Range can still help. They offer a wide variety of other memberships, including family and individual memberships, and you don't even need to be a member to visit Range Urgent Care as they are also in-network with most major insurances and offer affordable and transparent flat rate visits. And now for the special offer. Just for the listeners of the Making It in Nashville podcast, Range is offering a free first month of their annual membership, and that's any membership, whether it's business, professional, family, as Sarah said, all of them will get you your free first month uh, visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn more about this very special offer and more about the subscription plans. Again, that's makingitinashville.com forward slash range for a free first month in any annual membership. I love that. Uh, I'm also curious too to learn more about, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of different types of videos or you've worked with a lot of different types of clients over the years, Um, but you've, you've honed it down to, to maybe more specific industries. Possibly. Um, you know, so our, the core of our, the core of our work really falls in line with tourism, healthcare, manufacturing, and then general like organizations who have an amazing story, you know, and there are, there are tons of those, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the tourism side really spawned from my love for nature photography. So I still get out a lot. Uh, well, I have a one-year-old now, so I don't get as out as much for sunrise. Um, I can't wait for him to be, you know, a little bit older when I can drag him along with me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we live in such a beautiful area. I'm always like chasing a beautiful moment. Like I always have this like um, internal drive to, to find these beautiful moments. So the nature of photography really <clears throat> pushed me into the realm of of tourism work. So, you know, a lot of our local tourism is based on the beauty of our region. Sure. And so there are a lot of tourism based clients, even manufacturing tourism based clients that have a product that they want to portray in the woods or they want to portray on a mountaintop or they want to show it in action, you know, whether it be, you know, a shoe or a bike or a kayak or whatever it might be, there's a lot made here uh, locally. So that, you know, I can see these common threads of like, you know, I, I, I have a passion for nature photography. I try and do it really well. And that's allowed me the, you know, the, the, the wealth of information, you know, regarding our region, you know, where to be when the fall colors are at their best or, you know, what segment of the Blue Ridge Parkway has the most beautiful, you know, uh, winding curvature, you know, just something really as, as small as that, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of time to, 
But if I have a cycling client that says, hey, we need somebody road biking on this beautiful road in the fall season, I have an idea of where to be because I've, you know, I've like scouted essentially. Uh, and, uh, and so th- I think that does position you for opening other doors to like-minded opportunities, whether it be in manufacturing, which could be an outdoor uh, manufacturing uh, entity, or it's in tourism. We do a lot of work with Explore Asheville and they, you know, they are the tourism entity of our, our region. So that's opened a lot of doors because they work with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, they work with all the big industries in town because they want to bring people to Asheville. Um, yeah, so I, I don't remember where we were going with this, but um, well, no, I'm just wondering, like, if there was ever a moment when you you said, "Okay, I I'm done with doing, you know, kids' birthday parties and weddings, and, right. and I'm only going to focus on this." And if I get a request from someone yeah. to do something else, I'm probably just going to pass it on. Like, how how did you think through that process, or did was it just sort of natural? Yeah. And you're like, "I'm just going to follow the things that I'm interested in." Yeah, fortunately, I have a great team, and we have a high level of in inner accountability, you know, where we will all assess a project and we'll say, is this a good fit? You know, is it a good fit based on the premise of our values? Is it a good pay, based on the premise of finance and return uh, timeline? Can we do it within a certain time period? And so we weigh all these variables and, you know, the, the biggest one is not always finance. You know, we may do a project for a quarter of, and I'm not going to tell all my clients here, you know, on, <laughs> But, but we may do a project that's a quarter of the cost of another project, but we have to weigh all these variables. Like, can we do it less expensively because we love what they're doing or we have a little more time? It's dead of winter and, you know, nobody's ringing the phone so we can afford to do a project for a little less financial gain. Yeah. Um, so we weigh a lot of variables and we do it together and we have, you know, two team meetings a week where we're all assessing every single client, every single opportunity together. Um, so I think now it's a little different. Whereas back in the day when I talked about filming anything and everything, a wedding or a kid's birthday party, what have you, like, that was just me. Like, it was just like, yeah, I'll do the hustle. I'll stay up late. But when I realized that my decision affects other people's, other people's responses on my team, I need to be a unified front and I need to say, okay, like, um, my decision affects Emily's editing outcome and her timeline and the pressures that she's facing or Jennifer, who does our project management, you know, she's going to get a flood of emails from this client who's just their project super dynamic. So it takes a ton of back and forth emails, you know, so we have to assess this sort of thing and say, okay, like what's a good fit in the current moment based on all these variables. Yeah. Perfect. I think that's a great answer. I'm wondering when, you took the first step from I'm Jared K, owner, operator, chief, you know, uh, chef and bottle washer, as they say, to uh, maybe started contracting people yeah. to do things downstream or come with you on a shoot. Yeah. To uh, it sounds like are are those three teammates uh, employees today? Yeah. So way back in the day, I contracted an editor part-time here and there. So I had, I had these, um, I had a few dynamic projects that required a little more of a heavy lift. So I would contract an editor and I would, you know, work with somebody who was, uh, their own entity. But what I started learning early on is that like, you have to be very like unified. Like I said, you know, you have to be sure that your process is aligned so that the client receives a consistent 
result, you know, especially if you're creating content for them regularly, or if they come back in a year, it needs to look and feel consistent, cohesive. So it's really tough, in my opinion, it was really tough, in my opinion, to contract editing out or to contract somebody to write your emails, you know, because it has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had in 2012, I had an opportunity to work with Explore Asheville, for who I mentioned before, to do this um, spring time-lapse campaign. So I was really into time-lapse photography and I was already capturing a lot of, you know, fun nature content. And they came to me and they said, hey, we want to create this spring time-lapse campaign and you have a month to do it. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you know, this, this is an amazing opportunity. Um, I'd, I'd love to, you know, and I have the time allotted, you know, and, and the budget was, and back then, in my opinion, fantastic. I think it was somewhere in the $6,000 range. When they told me that, I about fell out of my chair. I mean, this was 2012. And to me, that was a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, seven years earlier, you were looking for 800 a month. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. at over a year. Project of six grand. And I literally about fell out of my chair. And so I was, I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'll do it. And like I said, you know, they, it was like an entire month's worth of work. It was a lot of work. But that video gained so much traction and had so much, you know, positive response that they wanted to do it again in the fall. And not only that, but they wanted to like um, work with us on a more regular, engage with us on a more regular basis. So it allowed this opportunity for me to say, okay, now I can possibly afford to bring somebody on in more than a contract, you know, per project basis. And so uh, Jennifer, our project manager, had reached out to me right in that same moment and just sent a random email like, Hey, you know, I do project management, just moved to Asheville from Boston with my husband and my little girl. And, you know, do you want to chat? So I wrote back, I was like, yeah, this is perfect. I would love to. We sat down for coffee and we talked about, you know, all the possibilities and and scenarios. And for her, it was a fantastic fit because she had a newborn. She could be flexible in her role. And for me, it was a fantastic fit because I really just needed her to to be a liaison to the client, to engage with them and to be, you know, that funnel and filter so that when I received the run of show or when I received like the marching orders, I knew where to be and when I'm like, you know, literally just tell me where to show up and what to have, you know, in my, in my kit. So that was really a turning point back in 2012 when I brought Jennifer on and then Emily interned with us. Uh, she was in school for broadcast or photojournalism, something of the sort. And, um, and she interned with us for a summer and then she left to go back to school that same summer. Um, this was in 2012 and we're like, oh my gosh, we're lost. Like when, when you graduate, we need you back. <laughs> like, so she came back the next year and, and worked for us. And they're, they're both, you know, like a very integral part of our team to this day. Wow. So yeah, you know, and then, uh, we have another team member who helps me, Skylar, who helps me with all the logistics of equipment, you know, set up, breakdown, charging batteries, emptying cards, you know, making sure that everything looks good and sounds good, you know, cause we're remote, you know, we get out on location a lot. And so we have to be, we have to be nimble in someone else's environment. We have things, things have to be seamless. So, you know, he's, he's fantastic with that, you know, so that allows me to be more client centric or story centric, you know, to where I don't have to think about like, Oh, is that battery charged? Is that camera running? Is the audio good? You know, now it's a luxury. I'm like, Oh, I just show up and I banter with the client and I, you know, have this cool conversation and then, and then we leave, you know, wow. it's a lot more than that, but still. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Nice. Wow. Yeah. I think, um, I think that those stages of, of handing some of the work off 
can be to certain artists, creatives, entrepreneur types can be like the hardest learning curves, right? Learning a new skill like yeah. not behind a lens or with a boom oh, yeah. doesn't, isn't nearly as hard as learning the skill of I can't do everything. Uh-huh. So 80%, you know, done 80% the way I would have done it, 20% with their own flair. Is yeah. that good enough or does it give me anxiety? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah and exactly. I don't. Yeah, when you're, uh, when you're handing your baby off to someone else and saying, hey, make this look good, make this sound good, make this email feel, you know, cohesive and collaborative. And, you know, it's like when I first started doing that, um, that was, oh my gosh, just like the hardest thing ever is like pulling teeth. And, and a lot of times, you know, Jennifer, Emily, or even Skylar will have to pull that away from me and say like, look, you don't need to be doing this. Like, yeah. you know, trust me, I'll do it. And that's a big thing is like learning to trust other people, you know, and they want to be trusted, you know, but it's really, it's really tough for me to take that, you know, like very integral, like passion oriented, whatever it might be and hand it off to someone else and, and, to, and to say, okay, I trust you. You've got yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and I always struggle with like, well, it's not the way that I would do it. Yeah. But does that mean it's it's wrong or that it's or that it's uh, poor quality? And, yep. and that's what I am always trying to struggle with in my mind. Is like, it's this is fine. Like they're still doing a great job. It's yeah. just different than the way I would have approached yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and it's a lot to be different. You know, that's uh. But uh, we have a, we all as humans have a hard time with that, especially if we're you know of my perspective where I'm very determined. I'm very like. I want to do this my way and I want to do it, you know, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stubborn in that sense, but I've, I've also learned to understand my own, my own, um, intricacies for lack of a better word and, and to, mm-hmm. and to realize that and to say, okay, like, am I doing that because I'm better at it? Like, am I making the decision because I am truly better at it or am I only making the decision just because I'm afraid of, trusting someone else to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So Jared, what's, what is coming up for you in the future? What projects are you guys working on or, or what goals does your business have coming up? Yeah, this, this is really good. And as you know, we're in the midst of COVID. So, yes. you know, we have, we have all pivoted, you know, we, we've either figured out a new way to do it or we're just not doing it anymore. Um, but fortunately for us, you know, we, we thought this would be just detrimental to our line of work. Like who's going to do video during COVID. But what we found is like everybody now wants to do something virtually. So they, you know, we're doing universities, virtual campus wow. tours for students who can't come toward the campus right now. Um, we're working with um, economic development currently to create this virtual experience for high school students who want a job in manufacturing, but they can't go to our manufacturing facility. So we bought, um, we've invested in equipment. We bought a Matterport. Do you know what a Matterport is? It sounds it's like, like something from Dune, honestly. It a lot in real estate. So like these 360 home tours where you can go in and you can like see around, you can click and drag your mouse and see around the home. So essentially it's a 360 camera that you set in the middle of a room and it spins in a circle and it sees everything. And then you move it five feet and you do it again. And then there are these like hotspots that show up on the floor wherever you would set the camera. And so you have these like walking paths so you can map out an entire property 
and uh, and it's super super cool. So we did this in two facilities, um, French Broad Chocolate Factory, uh, which if you've never been there, it's the coolest place ever. It's like Willy Wonka's, you know, like it's super cool. Um, and then we did it in Industry Nine, which is a local bike part manufacturer that make wheels and spokes and for um, for high end. Uh, cycling. Um, Clint, that's a, that's a, and they, I think Clint was one of our most like MBA yeah. course interviews yet. He was like consummate serial yeah. entrepreneur and what a, what a cool place to do that in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like eye candy everywhere. And you know, I'm big into cycling. So like, I'm, you know, I'm just drooling wow. in there, you know, and I want, yeah. <laughs> um, so what we ended up, not only did we create the Matterport virtual tour, but we also said, okay, how can we make this an interactive, engaging experience to where there's a takeaway and people have a, a sense of uh, of education or inspiration? And so we created a bunch of um, independent videos that we could place throughout ah. the floor. So we had little hotspots, and we have we have people standing there. Like when you walk in, Clint's standing at the doorway greeting you, and he's he's in a 360 photo and he's static. But if you click on the little dot that that's on his it'll bring up a video. And so you can watch Clint talk about what their role in the community or, or their, you know, the difference they're making or whatever it may be. And then you can move throughout the tour further and you can click on one of the employees and you can hear about their journey and their story and how they found upward mobility. And they're now, you know, uh, they're now like a manager in their department or whatever, you know, like um, they get to ride their bike for lunch, you know, for their lunch break. I know. The pump. They're doing it right out there, man. What a cool. It's a really cool yeah. culture there. So, you know, um, being able to tell and share the breadth of, of why they exist and, and why you might want a job there as a, as a student and, you know, pursuing a manufacturing career, like, I think it just opens up a, a ton of um, uh, perspective, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, um, and understanding into, yeah, manufacturing is not just this dirty, grimy job that my grandpa used to do in a factory, you know, it's got a potentially has a ton of really cool culture and like opportunity for, you know, like um, being a part of something. So, so that type of approach, us again, being the portrayers of that, not necessarily scripting it or um, uh, contriving it, but we're just there, we're the platform to tell that story and share that story. So this, this like three more 360 virtual tour, like immersive experience is now really a just, cool way to tell a story and it feels like we're kind of pushing into the future of what things are going to start looking like where it's more immersive yeah to me it almost sounds like a little bit like some video game one of those video games where like you're walking through something right and you click on a button and like something happens and and that's really Ah, really really cool and storytelling sense you know i think you've 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 kind of got something there you know yeah so, not to give away our new secrets, I but <laughs> and you have this incredible studio. So at what point uh, did you, uh, again, this shout out to the YouTube channel, check out the space. Um, but at what point did you get brick and mortar in Asheville? seems like you've always had an office somewhere, but was the office also a studio the whole time? No. Um, so starting in like 2010, maybe I was tired of rolling out of, you know, rolling out of bed and, and going to the spare bedroom and, and calling that my, you know, my mm-hmm. career, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of a pivot there where I said, okay, I, I need somewhere where I can like get up, I can get dressed, I can drive there 
and then I can separate work from home and work from, you know, so there was, I needed that separation point. So I rented this like $150 a month, um, old, not just doctor's office, but patient room inside of a doctor's office. They'd been converted to offices. And so I'm renting like this patient room, you know, and it still had like the light you could pull down in the ceiling and like the, the table where people would, you know, like play on really creepy. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I was there for a couple of years and then I moved to a space, uh, somebody I knew had a space that was up for lease in Hendersonville. So I ended up moving there and, and it was all justifiably affordable. Like it was still a stretch, but it gave me a sense of legitimacy. And it also gave me a sense of accountability to where no longer was I just working from home and making the money I needed to make, but I was now like responsible for paying a lease and for having a, you know, and so I think that's, that's actually a positive. Like a lot of people are really scared to move into like a big expensive office or whatever it might be. But I'll tell you what, like it is a motivating factor, like none other. It's like, you know, when you have a kid, you birth a child, like all of a sudden, like life changes, like you no longer have the option to not care for this child. You no longer have the option to just ignore it and avoid it. And like, you know what I mean? It's it's in theory we know what yeah. you mean, but I, I I I would never have made that jump because we haven't lived it. But it does. There's a there's a new phase. We have this office. We're shooting this in in our uh, new downtown office, and there's a there's a step. Like this is fundamentally we're yeah. in a different phase of our business and of our career. This is our baby in in some regard. Um, I can absolutely hear yeah. that. I imagine uh, bringing someone on full time is a version of that like uh yeah. responsibility step graph popping up um yeah. but ho- holy smokes okay so y- y- how long were you in this patient room which sounds scary and weird and fun um if you delve into this uh probably two years and the majority of that time i somehow landed this hunting and fishing show and so i was editing someone else would film it but I was editing this mostly hunting show and it was like good old boy, like, you know, Ned and Ted's hunting and killing. (laughs) And it was, I was responsible for like this 30 minute show that went on. I think it was the pursuit network. And so they would send me all this raw footage. And when I say raw footage, I mean like really raw footage um, of like, you know, a deer getting shot and they would like do all the recreates of like loading the gun and stalking the deer and like, you know, making the kill. And it was like, but it paid. It was, you know, I, I, you know, I got a pretty steady check from that. And, um, and so the, you know, that was, I think that was a two years, maybe I did, uh, I worked in that space and I had that. So it was really, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but that's the memory of yes. that space was this hunting and killing job. <laughs> Holy moly. It sounds a little bit really like crazy. a horror, like. Yeah. In, <laughs> a, in a laboratory, yeah, in a, in a, in a operator. Never rented out in there so i would go in and it was this dark dungeon it was like half underground like you would you would walk in it was like really creepy in there but hey you know like uh it was an office it was a place to call got to hang your call work uh somewhere Um, that wasn't your your home i think it's a big step and so now (laughs) how many spaces between that and where you are today uh one two okay so we were there then hendersonville and then south Asheville. we released the space and now we're here in River Arts District, and we have this big, beautiful space. I mean, it's like 3,000 square feet, and it's phenomenal. And the biggest challenge right now during COVID has been, like, 
almost that sense of like, I don't know, it's guilt or pressure or whatever it may be, but like the space has sat vacant. Like we all split off and worked from home since March. And I think a lot of people are feeling this, like, like I have this big, beautiful space and like, there's no one to, there's no one to share it with. There's no purpose behind it currently because this is where we would meet clients and this is where we would engage as a team. And this is where we would film, you know, and all that went away like during COVID. And so I had to really have this like internal discussion of like, should we, should we move on and, and, you know, or should we, um, you know, it's, it's really tricky when you're in a lease or a mortgage or whatever, whatever have you, you can't just up and vanish, you know, like you have to ride that out. Um, so, uh, fortunately for us, we, um, we four years ago actually bought into this, we purchased, so it's, it's, it's a mortgage, but it's also a really high level of pressure, you know, to say like you have, the bank's not going to go away. Like you have to make it, you either have to make it work or you have to sell it. And, and, uh, and for me, like, you know, I can, like, I can equate this to, you know, um, uh, that baby scenario again, you know, like you, you have a child you have to care for, you have to find a way to care for it. And, uh, and so we started, um, setting up for, uh, zoom conferences and virtual meetings and, and hosting events like the chamber's annual meeting or, um, the YWCA had this persimmon luncheon that was, you know, like really integral to, uh, their, their donors donating money. And they started coming to us during the first few months of COVID and saying, hey, we can't have our event in person anymore. How do we do this? Like, you're the expert in video. How do we do this event? And I'm like, well, we have a studio. We have some equipment. I guess we can do a live, you know, virtual event. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about live events at that point. I'd never even done a Facebook live. And, and so, like, that was, like, March. And, and now this Zoom thing shows up that no one knows anything about. You know, we were all foreign to Zoom back then. Wow. Um, and now we're all experts, you know, every one of us is probably an expert at zoom. Um, so we had this massive learning curve between March and what is it now late September where we've re outfitted our entire space. And that's why, you know, I have like this really cool setup that I'm, you know, talking to you now and, um, the super cohesive, it's clean, it's inviting and it feels natural. Well, it's as natural as it can in a virtual realm. You know, I can see you in the same eye line as the camera and I can hear you through a monitor and I can talk to you through a microphone and all this is hidden to the guests. They don't notice it, but it exists and it's, you know, it's integral. And so we found ourselves being this integral part of our community again, where we could say, Hey guys, we've, we've got this. Like, if you need it, come to us, we'll make it work. You know, finances aside, I'm doing it again. I'm saying, okay, like my goal is not to make money on this. My goal is to be a resource to my community and to find, yeah, a level of sustainability but at the end of the day, like, I want to be sure that like, we are contributing, you know, we're an asset. Love it. Yeah. I think that's a, a fantastic sort of pivot yeah. and way to think about things. Um, yeah. Honestly, if you have an event and you need someone to host it, let's talk, you know, like all, all finances aside, like I want to be sure that people know the opportunities there. Yeah. That's great. Well, we'll also add that um, into the show notes as well. So it's there for everyone to, to see. Um, I think we're ready to move into our speed, our speed round, which is never really a speed round, but um, it's sort of the final uh, segment of the episode, which is some lighter questions that, that we'll ask you. Um, 
I want to know from you, because you seem to be know a lot of fantastic outdoor spots. And so for anyone who's maybe listening and really wants to capture um, Asheville and its surroundings uh, on video or on yeah. photo, I, I don't want you to give away T- all your secrets, three through but five. where would you, yeah, where Not would you recommend people go if they wanted to kind of see something really cool? This, it's almost like asking, where is a good restaurant in Asheville? It's yeah. always that same question because I would rather tell you what's not a good restaurant in Asheville because I know of three or four that aren't good, but I know of like a hundred that are fantastic. Sure, that's a really good point. All right. So where, where do most people go that's wrong? How about that? Um, I, think, I think most people, the wrong thing to do is to not get out of your car. Like, you know, it's like you get on the Blue Ridge Parkway and you just drive and you show up at an overlook and you sit there. You know, I've seen people that will roll down their window and not even get out at the overlook. And so from my perspective, I think exploring and adventuring a little bit and finding that place that's that you call your own. You know, when I show up to a new beautiful place, say it's a waterfall and I've never been there before. I feel like I'm the first human to ever stumble upon this like phenomenal place that is such a secret that, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you have that feeling that like, wow, I found this, like, this is mine. Like I, this is a, an, an amazing moment that is mine and mine only, you know? So sometimes I have a harder time telling people where to go. Cause then I feel like I'm choosing their adventure yeah. for them. You know what I mean, like, I kind of like the idea of like, if I said like, go to craggy gardens, climb up to the pinnacle, here's how long the hike will be. Here's what to expect at the top. It just all seems preconceived. And then like, you're kind of, you're kind of like, giving away the ending, yeah. you know, like to a good book, you know? So it's, it is tough sometimes to recommend because you don't want to give away the ending. You want people to be like, here's a little bit of like, um, here's a little bit of, um, of insight, but you go yeah. choose your own. Yeah. Event, well, and it's know? always kind of like when someone, and it's, I think the restaurant is a great comparison, but when someone tells you, Oh, when you go to this city or this place, you have to go to this restaurant. And so then you go and you're yeah. like, yeah, it was good, but your expectations were so high and you're expecting something. Whereas yeah. when the, when you go and you discover that little spot that no one told you about, it feels yeah. like it feels like you yeah. you did it. Yeah. You found that. All that to say, great reversal on that question. We will ask in that way. <laughs> Moving forward. I love that. Um if there are are you a book reader? Yes. What? Oh my gosh. Every night I read like at least I mean until I fall yeah. asleep typically, you know. But that's my thing at night. Like every Any night, books in the last yeah. three months stand out to you that you'd be like, put on your nightstand, or in this oh, um, books that are on other people's nightstands that shouldn't be. However, you want to answer it. But what books do? Yeah, you have? yeah. Uh, in the library because I'm just you know I'm, I'm I'm an avid reader and I bounce back and forth um, on a lot of different really cool books. Um, let's see. So <clears throat> um, recently, I, I'll just I'll give the big like four or five that really stand out over the last you know couple of years but i love anything david mcculloch like 1776 or john adams was such a fantastic yeah. book they even made it hbo you know, miniseries so good yeah definitely fantastic you know um i love anything to do with history um let's see I, I i like a little bit of nonfiction, but i mean a little bit of fiction but mostly i'm a nonfiction reader um, some of the Eric Lawson stuff, like uh, Devil in the White oh City, goodness. was really good. And then I read Dead Wake, and then I just read something recently of his that was really just 
fascinating, and I, I'm blanking. Whatever his next book is, I think check the reason out. for that is because it, it it reads like a thriller, but it's also yeah. a true-ish story from history, yeah. as best we can exactly. tell. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think those are great. Um, the first book I recall that was like that was uh, um, what's the one where Unbroken, I think, is the name of it. With the prison he, he camp. Uh, yeah, Life yep. Raft, and then, he, yeah. He, um, they made a movie about it. Anyway. Is that the name of the book? Anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, I have a hard time recalling what I've recently read, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's um, it's a passion of mine for sure. Um, I'm reading right now um, the one about the, uh, it was a plane crash, a mili- World War II military plane crash in New Guinea, um, called something Sri Lanka, I believe. Um, see, I'm butchering the heck out of this. I should have been more prepared. <laughs> no, okay. That's a surprise speed run. But I, I think that the David McCullough's and uh, Eric Larson books are that does it tells me a lot about the, your your reading passions. I think that those are, that's a great insight into who you are that we wouldn't have pulled out without you telling us what kind of books you love. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think the, the nonfiction history, you know, recent enough history that that it's relevant for me. I've seen a lot of like uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. That's a great oh, yeah. podcast, by the oh, way. Yeah. yeah, I like that on all the time. But he gets really far into like the Greek and yeah. Roman and you know like stuff that's way back that almost seems like methodical. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, his his World War Two and World War One stuff is really worth you know a good listen. Awesome. Fantastic. Sounds like history. You're a huge history buff. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not like, I don't really retain it. I don't, you know, I'm not like, I just, I like the, I like learning from the past, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And we can all do that, you know? So I think you take a lot of nuggets from past, you know, experience or whatever it might be. And you, you apply those to the future. Yeah. So it's all relevant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, if, we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand. What one thing would you ask for right now? What would I ask mm-hmm. for? Time. Time. 100%. I mean, that is, time is the biggest luxury. It's the most untangible asset, you know, that you can never have enough of. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, you know, I would rather if somebody said, hey, I'll give you, $10 million or I'll give you, you know, 10,000 hours. I'd take the 10,000 yeah. hours. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. agree. I feel like that this, this week in particular, I keep, <laughs> Tony keeps asking me, what, what do you, what do you need help with? And I'm like, I don't need help with anything. I just need more time. Like just <laughs> yeah, yeah. give me another day. Yeah. yeah. And, and if everyone, if anyone ever tells me they're bored, I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> Yeah. yeah 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 love that that's a honestly that's a that's a great answer um makes me think of the movie click which i think is a sleeper film always tugs on my heartstrings it's got cranberries music in it um but check out the yeah. movie click and then uh if and i'll do a preemptive shout out to your instagram account which has some of the most beautiful photos uh on it but if our audience wanted to connect with you on the World Wide Web. Where might you send them? Yeah, yeah. Instagram's a good place. I mean, it's it's a little less active. It's a little more passive, I think. You know, if you comment on Instagram, I'll comment back and I'll, I'll chat with you there. Um, Facebook is 
you know, probably a little more active. Um, you know, you can find me on the web pretty readily if you want to chat, you know, social media, email. Um, you know, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Sometimes we hit a busy spot and I just can't get back. So hit me up again. You know, if you don't, if you don't jump out on my radar the first yeah. time, it's not because I'm ignoring you. My, we might be busy, but I always love chatting with people. So, um, uh, let's see the Instagram is, is a great place to, you know, just see like local beauty and to yeah. find, you know, I, I try and respond to people on like, Oh, where, you know, like you'd asked earlier, where is that beautiful place or how can I see something, you know, that's profound sunrise landscape, you know, uh, mountainous. Um, but, um, yeah, I would say any, any of that, you know, it's, I'm pretty Perfect. easy to get hold and of. We'll have links to all of the known channels in the descriptions below on the show notes page. Um, but thank you very, very much for joining us this morning, Jared. Yeah, likewise. It was such a pleasure. And I honestly feel like I'm talking to old friends. Like it's just such a, it, 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 you guys made it very comfortable and natural and, and enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you.